disciples. Welcome to podcast episode number 800. Woohoo. There you go. Uh, we are the Fight Disciples. This is your MMA review for the weekend just gone. If you are watching this on YouTube, you can already see that we're still in Abu Dhabi. It's the day after the night before of UFC 294, and that's what we're going to be reviewing for you. Uh, if you're looking for an audio feed for this podcast, you can get it via our website, fightdisciples.com. We're on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, the works. Get in there, get subscribed to us, uh, and you'll never miss out on any of our content. And as I've already said, we are on YouTube. So if you prefer to watch your podcasts, maybe you're listening to us right now, and you think, do you know something? I want to see these two handsome devils talk to us about MMA. Get yourself to YouTube, have a nosy in. Yes, we're in a bit of a dark room because it's getting to a certain time of night where the sun is going down, so it's a little bit weird in the room. I know it's not lit well, but... Maybe that's a good thing. So you can't you can't see our faces too much. Anyway, it's available on YouTube. Get stuck in. Fight Disciples is what you're looking for. Now, as I said, we've had 20, not 24 hours. We've had, what, 12 hours maybe? Mm-hmm. A bit longer. To digest everything that we saw last night inside the Etihad Arena. It's slowly becoming, this trip to Abu Dhabi, my favourite one of the year. Correct. Best away trip. Best fixture. Timing, location. I feel like every time we come, Abu Dhabi's even better. Yaz Island is even better. Do you know? Do you know when we did our microphone check two minutes ago? Yeah. You did it completely differently. Why? How did I hold the microphone then? No, you held it to your mouth and you spoke properly. Now you're holding it on your tits and you're not even speaking in it. So now I'm having to adjust you. That's why I'm bending forward. I apologise to people watching this on YouTube. This is what I'm working with, though. They expect it. I'll change my microphone position now. Then is that better? But I agree. Every time we come to Yaz Island, it's better. There's more restaurants, there's more bars, there's more of everything. And it just seems to jump up a level every single time. Throw in the fact that you can guarantee some of the best fighters in the world because of the huge Dagestani fighter presence in the UFC and their desire to fight in this region, with it not only being a Muslim region. This region. Region, <laughs> exactly. It's been a long week. But also being a basically the playground of the, the Russians, this part of the world. So it ticks a lot of boxes in that regard. And then the final curveball is just when the weather's starting to nosedive in the UK, just when autumn's really starting to grab you by the balls, just when you're reaching for that thermostat to put the central heating on, you're getting on a plane, you're going to Abu Dhabi in October. Next day, you buy the pool. Tremendous. My best trip of the year. It is. But and it wasn't it, my favourite card of the year. In fact, far from it. No. As in what? From start to finish? From start to finish. I think this is a card of two hours, mate. Big time, yeah. I think Absolutely. You... It was like the Merseyside Derby. Absolutely <laughs> shite in the first half. Second half, class rises to the top. Yeah. I think we got six. A little bit of dodgy officiating. There we go. Yeah. Listen, there's loads of talking points. I think we've got six fights that have gone back to back that have really caused some serious momentum and the energy in the room in the Etihad Arena was sensational. Hopefully that transcended when you were watching it on TV at home. Um, obviously the first fight is interesting because it's your mate Shadow Magomedov who's got a yes. big narrative in and around him and obviously a big fan base out here. And, and that his, was mental. And his performance was mental so therefore the energy was up at the start and then it just dipped. Yeah. We went on this crazy little journey. Some mad little bits of officiating uh, which we're going to get to obviously throughout the course of this. And then when Mohamed Mokhev managed to flip his fight on its head in that final again, round, again, <laughs> that, that's when the momentum started to kick off. Main, main card delivered. Main card was on it. Yes. Yes, you've got controversy in the Walker and Kalaya fight. We'll get to that as well in a minute. Um, but you've got a world-class performance. Mm-hmm. You've, you've, you've left the, the, the main event with no questions. Boom, done. He's he, the guy. As he said that he was going to do. He's the guy. Uh, you've got... Maybe a bit of uh, 
well, questions is obviously what I'm referring to. So maybe you've got questions coming out of the, uh, the call, man, because you're thinking to yourself, hmm, we thought you were this. Yeah. You came up against the level from the weight division below. Are you what you say you are? Um, but then you've got two superstars that obviously kicked it off in uh, Sayyid Nurmagomedov and in particular Ikram Aliskarov mm-hmm. uh, on main card, mate. So I come away from it satisfied. Of course. But five fights in, we were like, <laughs> this is a bit of a tough watch. Now the the, the, the audience out in Sabu Dhabi, and I said Saudi. Sabu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Um, at a big grappling audience. I say there's a lot of Russians in the crowd. There's a lot of uh, Emiratis, Arabs that are used to jiu-jitsu, that train jiu-jitsu. It's on the school curriculum out here. You know, they're, they're well immersed in it. There was a big jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu tournament on Friday night. Put my teeth back in. Um, so they, were, they weren't necessarily against it. Had that been somewhere like London or Paris or, you know, maybe even, one, maybe even in the US, I think there'd have been a lot more booing going on because it was kind of flat for the first four and five fights. The prelims were tough to get into, the early prelims. Then the main prelims were kind of like stop-start and no contest and all kinds of mess. But you're right, when it mattered, Mo got the party started again and the main card delivered. There's a few there's a few people in there who are serious contenders in their weight division and you haven't yet got the, the respect on their name. And we've got two fights for me that need to be run back. We've got Ankaliyev versus Johnny Walker. Has to be run back. That doctor, we'll come back to him in a minute. That has to be run back, which is frustrating for Ankaliyev, but equally frustrating for Johnny Walker, I guess. And for me, Hamzat versus Kamaru, man. Run that shit back. I thought that was one round to two in favour of Kamaru. But the one round was quite clearly a 10-8 in favour of Hamza. Right, and we're, we're going to go through this. You know I love a little bit of criteria casserole. I've already put my thing online, and it's interesting to see people's reaction. Um, there's a lot of fans that don't read the criteria. I'll explain it. Yeah, Daniel Cormier is one of them. <laughs> yeah, I'll, re- I'll read this. Well, I'll go through it when we get to it, but let's start with a, with a major, major positive, right? We were high as kites on this fight, the rework of this fight. Oliveira falls out. Volkan obviously sticks his hand up. Ten days notice. I'm here, mate. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. He comes into this fight taking on Islam Makhachev. And this, for me, was to crown pound for pound number one. And that pound for pound debate is a different debate to greatest of all time. I've no idea why John Jones is the pound for pound number one. He isn't. But he's the greatest of all time. Yes. Okay. So... Now, coming out of it, I conclude that Islam Makachev is the pound for pound number one, as well as solidifying this little yep. legacy that he's got with uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. And he did it by not leaving any questions for us. He's got in there and he has taken care of business. A well-drilled move. Yeah, They've obviously been working on that in camp all throughout it. The way he set it up, he tried it a couple of times. And then the way that he delivers it, is absolutely, truly sensational. It's elite technique. You've got to think of who he's doing it against. Don't make any excuses that it's a 145-er. Yeah. Come on. Alexander Volkanovsky was the pound-for-pound guy. Mm-hmm. He was the man. Look what he's doing at 145. And look what he did to Islam in February. Yeah. That is an elite finish against an elite guy. And Islam Makachev absolutely deserves his crown as the pound-for-pound number one today. It might change in three months, four months, six months, whatever. One month. But right now, he is the best on the planet. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I was one of the most vocal voices, or certainly vocal voices, um, 
that I'd li- that I'd watched, that I'd listened to, that I'd you listen to yourself. I listen to myself. What the fuck? I'm you don't to listen say? to anybody else other than what yourself. I'm saying, what I'm saying is, there you go. Certainly, <laughs> certainly on our show. Uh, you, you hey, would... everybody, <laughs> come and look how great I am. Ron <laughs> Burgundy. Here. What I meant is, you and Bispin were both like, that's it. Islam's the guy, and I was like, nah, man, nah, 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 nah. You don't, you don't step up, give away all the advantages. Go in search of greatness, fall narrowly short, and lose your title of pound for pound. Not when you beat the likes of Holloway and bam, 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 and you're starting to clear out a division, your body of work, and you're unbeaten in so many fights, and blah, blah, blah. You're giving up. I was adamant. But for this second fight, even though it got put together at late notice, and that's the one caveat saving grace for Volk, I still don't believe that's a strong enough excuse, not after that kind of finish by Islam. Because you're right, he picked it, he drilled it, he spotted it. He clipped him across the top of the head. He crashed Volk into the into the fence. He closed in superbly. Pinned his chin up with his left knee and just fucking bonked on his head like a bongo drum bonked. until his eyes rolled into the back of his head. This is a guy that works on mainstream broadcasting. Yeah, but I saved these. He bonked I saved on these his magical head. moments for our show, especially. He was sensational from start to finish. Islam all fight week on the night post fight. That's how the pound for pound champ behaves. And now the, the narrative's different because he hasn't just beaten, oh, but he beat the guy, but he's he's beat the pound for pound guy. Yeah, but it was very close. It was marginal. Maybe it was his advantages. Now you go, he beat the pound for pound guy twice. And he blitzed Back him. to back. And he blitzed him second time. After six months on the fucking couch. And the second time, he did exactly what he said he would do. Rather like Muhammad Ali, rather like the, the two greats who go, right, you've got questions about what happened last time? Watch this. I'm going to make a statement. And he did make a statement. And everything he said about, you know, maybe traveling to Australia and rehydration and not being comfortable and out of my... He was saying to Volk, you're in my world now, kid. This is my home ground. And I'm going to show you what 100% of Islam Makhachev truly looks like. Look, what it looks like is the best fighter on the planet. Look, look at what he's done, right? In his last two fights in Abu Dhabi. He submitted Charles Oliveira. At the time, pound for pound. And he's knocked out Alexander Volkanovsky. Volk's never been stopped in the UFC. Nope. He's only been stopped once in his previous career, I think in his fourth or fifth fight it At was. At welterweight it was as well. Yeah. <laughs> Ten years ago. Nobody's done that. And this dude's walked in and booted him across the octagon. That's pound for pound greatness. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's legendary it status. And, that, and that's where I want to go with this conversation because we started this a little bit on TNT, didn't we? And we, um, we we've, I think we've got a different opinion on this, right? And I was, I'm thinking about it before we started recording now. What comes next for Islam Makachev? Now, we know, obviously... Is a devout Muslim, so therefore there's a Ramadan situation here and therefore he can only fight at certain times of the year. Get mm-hmm. it completely, right? And that's fully support him in that. Yeah. So when do we get him back out and who do we get him out against? There's going to be clamberings for him to crack on at 155 because there's some unbelievable fights from at 155. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not against that argument, right? Yeah. But he's a special talent. And I think that you... Obviously, he's got a huge following in a certain part of the world. And if he's demanding an opportunity to join this elite club of champ champs, Mm -hmm. they've allowed Alexander Volkanovsky to have a go. And if you think about back to the first ever one, when it was uh, Conor McGregor, right? McGregor didn't have a a string of title defences at 145 before he goes to 155. He ain't got any of those title defences at 155. And I know that he's a superstar commercially and and maybe there's different rules with him. But I think this guy in a different demographic in a different part of the world has that pop. He has that. So if there's an opportunity for him to fight the winner of Leon Colby, he wants that and they want that. 
I think it makes a lot of sense, man. Yeah. Yeah, listen, it, it, it all comes down to pounds and pence at the end of the day or, or dirhams and drachmas. It, how much money can you put? <laughs> this guy today, what is he going on? <laughs> dirhams and drachmas. <laughs> um, you're right. It, it, Connor is the unicorn here because he was a commercial colossus. If you look at GSP, if you look at Anderson Silva... You know, all these guys pre-Connor, even John Jones, the summer, well, maybe not John Jones, but, you know, all these guys weren't afforded the opportunity and the UFC were like, nah, man, we don't, we don't have crossover. You don't have simultaneous. If you want to give it up, give it up, and then you can move up. But there ain't no opportunities to jump up and down weight classes. It was Connor that changed the game. It was Connor that came in and was so big and so popular that the UFC made, hey, you do what the fuck you want, kid. Right, I want lightweight now then. And it was him that made that transition. Now, since then, of course, we've had other multiple weight champions. GSP kind of, you know... Duck, he went simultaneous, but he came back in, he? Didn't ducked he? back in, yeah, just yeah. To, you know, ducked back out. But Amanda Nunes is probably the most high profile to hold two belts, even though one weight division yeah. doesn't really exist. DC kind of did it, well, did it, but John Jones was absent and, you know, he was floating around. Henry? Henry Ciudo, of course, he saved the flyweight division, then moved up and, you know, that there's got to be a, a thirst for it and I think there's also got to be a lack of stellar, standout, money-making moves in the current weight division. I don't think Islam's killing himself to make lightweights, even though he looked huge last night. I actually think he's, I think he's, Doing it better. Yeah, that's I think, what I mean. I think in the past, he's killed himself to do that. And I think, obviously, maybe a change of team, change of attitude towards nutrition and, and, and conditioning. I think he's making 155 a lot easier. I don't think, exactly. There's no talk of him struggling, you know, and really pushing at the weight. And there's so many big, big names at 155. There's Go on, so then. many big well, names. The, the name, Matthias Gamrots, the backup here. Well, he ain't one of those names. But he's the backup here. So yeah. if you're a backup and you weigh in, the tradition is that you're next. That you should be next. Bear in mind that, you know, he's only beaten... What's he beaten? To, uh, ranked fighters at lightweight. He's beaten Charles. He's beaten Dan Hooker. Who was the other one? Was RDA uh, ranked at the time? Former champion. He hasn't fought RDA. Islam. Islam Makachev's never fought Rafael de Sanyos. That'd be a great fight, to be fair. He's only beaten Volk, who's a featherweight, Charles Oliveira, who's a lightweight, and Dan Hooker, who's a lightweight. They're the only ranked lightweight he's ever beaten. This is the whole point. Now, he began his reign by beating Charles, and he's had two defences now against the featherweight champion. Was he booked to fight RDA? He may have, he may have been booked. Sorry, but I might be thinking of no, something completely different. I, I knew that was a fact because I remember heading into the Charles fight, and everyone was high on Islam, and I was high on Islam, but I was like, let's just remind ourselves, the only ranked guy he's ever beaten was Dan Hooker, and that's no... I'm not pouring shade on Dan Hooker. No, what no, I'm no. saying is, you know, when you're talking about Connor moving up, when you're talking about, uh, you know, DC doing it after fighting the likes of John Jones and jumping around and, you know, Henry Cejudo cleaning out a weight division and Amanda Nunes and they go, Amanda, we're going to bring Chrissy Cyborg in. Do you fancy doing something at featherweight? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's different levels. When you talk about Islam, as talented as he is, as incredible as he is, like last night, there was a brief conversation to go, should we talk about, has he now overtaken Habib? He's, he's not, he, not even close. Habib had at least five defences of the title, I seem to remember. Look, it, much higher profile as well, weren't they? I'm trying to think of who, who Habib actually defended the belt against. But, you know, Islam's fought two, light, two top ten lightweights. And again, I'm not plas 
he's the pound for pound for me. He looks incredible. The eye test and the recent body work's the most important thing. But there's massive fights out there with Gaethje, with Poirier. You know, there's there's Benil Darius, there's Fiziev, yes, there's Gamroth, there's and all these guys deserve the opportunity to fight off against each other and put themselves in a position where they can then challenge Islam Makachev for that belt. I don't think we're there yet. Which is the one then? Next. Yeah, well, you, you're talking about moneymakers, aren't you? So Mon- is it Gaethje? I would do Gaethje next, yeah. Gaethje. Just bear in mind that Gaethje looks better than ever right now. He's just won the BMF belt. But again, you know, Poirier is a huge name. RDA is a massive name in this weight division, massive name in terms of leg of the, legacy of the sport. The Charles Oliveira rematch is still there as well. Again, I, I don't want to, you know, push Islam to have to go over old ground. He shouldn't necessarily have to do that. But we're not we're not at the point yet where we should be thinking about him jumping up multi, up to another weight class because there's still a lot of work to do in his own weight class. I'm just looking at. You would just because he's just pull his record up, pull uh, pull Habib's record up, just go down to his record and have a look. It was it was defenses were against my eyes are bloody crap here. <laughs> the um, <clears throat> because he's got 12 wins now, yeah, consecutive in the lightweight division. People come at me there and say it's actually 13. Well, it's not because Bobby Green was a catchweight fight, all right. So, 12 in the lightweight division, which to my memory is the same as Habib, but when you're talking about defenses. Title him. fights. Yeah. Exactly. Because he won it against Ayakinta. What are you doing? I'm, I'm trying to find his record. It's not on there. Of course it'll be on there. Apologies if you're uh, tuning in for this nonsense. Right, there, stop. So, Al Ayakinta, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier and Dustin Gaethje, that's all, that's all he's done. So, three title defences against, you would argue, the three commercially biggest names in the lightweight division. Islam won the belt from Charles, has fought Volk twice. Now, you could put Volk into the same bracket as those guys, yeah. but he's got to actually beat the top roster at lightweight as well before we start talking about welterweight, especially because welterweight's only just changed hands. Leon's only just become the champion at welterweight, and the, the former champions now come up to middleweight. That weight class has got a fresh dynamic as well. That, weight, that, wel- that welterweight, 170-pound weight class, needs time for the top contenders to have their opportunities there too, and for that That's progress. not how the game works, though. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, Islam's a powerhouse here. Does he sell a ticket in Las Vegas? Does he sell a ticket? Well, they've got it here. They've got a show coming up in Saudi. He can go anywhere, can't he? Yeah, but Saudi's a fight night. It's not even a... a well, on, that's, this that's what this we're is ra- a business built on. That's what we're rumoured it is. We don't know what it is. Let's, let's be honest here. This industry, this business, this UFC brand is built on one thing. North American pay-per-view buys. That's where the money is. That's about making stars there. Islam, as big as a star he is in this region of the world. Well, I'm telling you now, right? Isn't commanding I'm multiple you now. weight opportunities. Well, let, let's put it this yet, way. In my opinion. And I don't, th- I don't think this will happen. I don't think this will happen. But if Colby Covington beats Leon Edwards, Colby Covington versus Islam Makachev is massive. Yeah. I don't think Leon and Islam is massive. That's not a disrespect to Leon. I just think because of the brash, you can the brash American against the uh, the talented Dagestani. I think, you know, yeah, commercially, I think that works, and fight wise, it works. But I agree with you, right? 
when I'm thinking of matchups, I, I'm when not, I'm thinking of matchups I'm not, now, ma- I'm not pushing for Islam to move weight. No, I'm not. Anytime I'm soon. not. I'm just saying if that's his desire. There's we're talking about him. At for if me. that's his desire, yeah. then I'm I'm not against it. Well, he's just entertained the featherweight champ twice, so I would understand if you went, "Hey, man, I just give someone else a legacy opportunity." I deserve my legacy opportunity. Yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. But I actually think if he went to welterweight, even if he was to win at welterweight, the bigger fights for him are still back down at I agree. I agree. Um, feel for Volk. He's obviously going through some mental challenges at the moment. And he, he spoke extensively yesterday about not being able to deal with inactivity, which I find bizarre because the fellas had three fights this year. Yeah. He's, the, he's one of the most active. So it's worrying that he's having these thoughts with that schedule. Um, and that's something that he's obviously got to work on and come to terms with because obviously he's 35 years of age now, as I've said on plenty of occasions, these lower weight divisions from 125 through to 155 are not kind to guys that hit 35 years uh, and over. They don't really continue at the level that they've they've been smashing everybody at. So that's going to be interesting. Volk, if he wants to come back in January or February and take on... Can he defend his belt? Can he become the first? Yeah, yeah, against Ia Tapura. That's uh, that's a big, big fight for him. Um, So yeah, He's obviously got to get himself straight and deal with whatever's going on inside his head. Um, but my attitude towards Volkanovski doesn't change just because he's been stopped in the in the first round off a, a guy that is the pound for pound number one. Volkanovski's a gangster. Turned up on 10 days notice. Sweet as a nut, mate. Go and have a Christmas. Enjoy your daughter. And I've no doubt we'll see him in January because that's just a dude he is. I think we will see him in January, so which means he probably won't enjoy his Christmas because he's the type of fella that will... That'll be stewing over this and that'll work and make him work twice as hard in the gym. This, this, this rhetoric behind him wanting to be busy or wanting to stay active and everything else, I think that's based on two things. One, he's at the peak of his powers right now and he realises that at 35 years of age, it, he will only slow down. Things will only be more difficult. And I think he's starting to feel that now in camp, even though he wouldn't reveal it. I think now in camp, recovery's taken an extra couple of days. You know, the... The, the, the big runs, the heavy workouts, everything else that he's famed for, the recovery time on top's been a little bit harder. The weight cuts are a little bit harder. And that's natural because <clears> his body's slowing down, his metabolism's slowing down. He's getting old and it happens to everybody. You know, Father Time is the undisputed champion of the world of all time for a reason. So I think this desire to get as many fights in as possible is because he knows the end is nigh. You know, the... the Unfortunately, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's coming fast and it's called retirement and he wants to be as busy as he can while he's capable. But that makes it dangerous and that makes opportunities for, for like Islam and certainly for, for Ilya Tapora in January if that fight does go ahead because when you're stacking them back to back to back, I've said it before and I'll say it again, man, losing becomes a habit and knockouts like that last night, even when you're as mentally strong and as talented as 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 Volkanovsky. Remember what he did to Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman was gun shy in London for the first couple of rounds. By the time he walked into it, Leon was in a slipstream. And he looked he gun again. It's hard to say he was gun shy last night because because no. Hamzat jumped on him. But look what happened once he got past that that mental thing and then suddenly it was like, oh Kamaru was back in the fight again. If I was Ilya Tapora, I'd fucking absolutely pounce on Volk in January if it happens. Because those knockouts stay in the mind. Um, <clears throat> whilst you're bringing up Usman, let's get into that common event. The um, Dev Leatherby for me got it right. Spot on. 28-28 is the score of that fight. I know yeah. you're shaking your head. I know you're going wild. Saying, oh, Hamzat won every single moment. First round, Hamzat Chimaev is absolutely sensational. Mm-hmm. 
to do that to Kamara Usman, we have not seen that before. Of, of course, this is a different weight. Yeah. So obviously he's fighting a bigger guy and he's also fighting an incredibly talented Don't grappler. Don't forget though, Hamzat's only been up at this weight himself for one last fight. Yeah, but he's, he's a big lad, mate. Yeah, Kamara's a big lad too. I thought Kamara looked ace, but Hamzat did look like the big fighter. Um, and for me, it's quite obvious, a 10-8 round. And the reason why it's a 10-8 round is because when you go through the criteria and you read it, you need two of the three. We talk about the three Ds all the time, don't we? When scoring a 10-8 round, yes, of course. When you're scoring a round in general, you're looking out for damage. That's what you're looking for. Top D. Is there enough damage? Is there, is there shit loads of damage? No, there's not. Because Kamaru Usman is a wily old cat. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's, he's got no neck to he's, get under. He's ex, yeah, but he's ex, he kept <laughs> of course, it down. He, of course he did. His experience of managing that situation. Crisis. Absolutely sensational. Stayed calm, didn't make any rash movements, did not present an opportunity for Hamzat Chumayev to finish that fight. I'll tell you what, most other middleweights would have presented the opportunity. 100%. And Hamzat finishes that in the first round. It's only because of experience, heart, determination from Kamari Wozman that that fight is not finished in that first five minutes. Clear 10-8, reason being dominance and duration. Yeah. The guy has his back for the best part of four minutes and he just dominates him. There's no offense coming back the other way. It's pure offense from Hamzat Chimaev. Okay, you're missing damage, but you've got dominance and duration. It's a 10-8 round, and all three judges mm -hmm. scored it that way. So there's no debate for me no. over round number one. That's so you've got 10-8 going into round number two. Now, round number two is a very different stanza. There's no wrestling at all. There's, no, there's nope. none of that. Stand-up circle. It's a stand-up circle. Take one of them, step off. Take one of them, step off. Now, you go back to the original way that you're scoring a fight here and you are looking for who is doing or causing the most damage. That's what, you, that's what you're looking for. No, right? There's no blood and guts all over the bloody octagon right now. Mm -hmm. But the most... Significant strikes? Who's landing? Telling strikes for me. And this is actually, in my opinion, closer than round number three. It's Kamara Usman. That is a 10-9 round to Kamara Usman round number two. I didn't think there was any question in it whatsoever. I, I it is tight. There's not like, much going on though, is there? I feel like you could have counted on one hand the number of strikes that Hamzat, significant That's strikes fact. that Hamzat lands, lands in that round. I think one of them's a, a body kick and then he throws a head kick as well. Um, and then there's a couple of you know single strike jabs or, 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 or crosses. But with Kamaru, okay, the output wasn't overwhelming the other way. But it was you at least need two hands. You at least land a double from what I recall from the fight in that second round. So I thought it was a clear 10-9 round in favour of Kamara Wasman. In fact, in the aftermath, I'm quite shocked that one of those judges um, scored that round to Hamza because that just simply did not happen. But then obviously it comes down to round three. And round three's similar first two and a half minutes. You've, you've got this standoff, you know, Lots of feints, lots of showing each other tells, not but, really doing anything. But, who's connected? but it's Kamari who's snapping the head back. It's Kamari who's landing the more significant strikes on the feet. Then at around the two thirty mark, Hamza takes us back again, takes him down. There's some more grappling involved. Doesn't really put in any positions to advance the grappling. Doesn't really land any serious ground and pound. No damage. Okay, Kamari's in Kamari was defensive here. And Hamza is offense, but offensively, all he's done is change position. He's not actually causing any 
real problems. And then right at the end, I think it's the last minute, last 30 seconds, they end up back on the feet again, and it's back to Kamaru landing the more significant shots. So for that reason, I thought it was a clear 10-9 round in favour of Kamaru as well, which gives you your draw. I thought it was a very easy fight to score, to be fair. I did. Um, the judges what, didn't. Well, I feel for Kamaru. Well, Dave Leatherby did. He got it right. Oh, yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. Um, in our opinion, and I'm sure you've got your own opinion on this, but if you've read the criteria, you understand the criteria, it is quite straightforward fight uh, to score. One conclusion that I take from it is Kamaru Usman deserves the opportunity to have another go at that Yeah. on a, a full, full camp, camp. Mm -hmm. and over five rounds. Yeah. No, I, I, do you know something, mate? If there were five rounds last night, he'd have won it. Yeah, and we talked about that. I mean, in the aftermath, it was like, who did really win? Well, neither of these guys, Drickers Plessy won, in my opinion. Drickers Plessy should be the guy who now fights Sean Strickland. And he always to... was, though, really, wasn't he? he I, always I agree, was. but the part of the character yeah. of both these guys, taking a fight 11 days' notice was, you know what, guys? You guys are both bigger names than Drickers. The winner of this fights, uh, fights Strickland for the belt. But we haven't got a, we haven't got a straight winner. There's uh, too many questions. Plus... You know, if if Hamzat has damaged his hand, then he, you know, that, that he sh Strickland shouldn't have to wait for Hamzat. Strickland should be able to crack on with a defense. And I just think you're right, dude. I think Kamaru wasn't coming in off the couch, deserves a full camp. If I was Kamaru, I'd go, yeah, man, I'm all in for that. But I'll tell you what, let's do it over five. Let's make it a main event. Let's see. Cause, because, Absolutely. Because I think a lot of fans now, I think we're all starting to think, hmm, okay. Okay, listen, I understand if Hamzat damaged his hand and I've got no reason to believe otherwise, then he's obvious that would explain why round two was output just considerably dropped. And then in round three, where the, the, the shock or the pain of a broken hand starts to drown out a little bit, you just start getting, well, I've got to win the fight. I've got to do it. He looked desperate in three, mate. He looked desperate. But he was shooting me, from miles away. And I'm like, going, whoa. And again, that might be down to the broken hand. Or it might be down to the fact that he emptied his gas tank in that first round. Yeah. Heavy grappling, a world-class grappler like Kamara Wasman is going to take it out of you when you're the offensive guy and he's just keeping cool, calm and collected, making sure he doesn't give you his chin. And that's what Kamara was doing. You come out of that first round thinking, wow, Kamara's just got battered. But in reality, Hamzat spent his gas tank and then came out. So... You know, I, I just think if I was Kamaru, 100%, let's do it again. I hope the UFC do it, do run it back. I think Drickus absolutely should just go and fight Sean Strickland, even though that might not be the glamour fight for the division. It's the best decision because I don't think Hamzat deserves a title shot after that performance. Kamaru Usman probably doesn't deserve a title shot either. No, 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 no. I don't think either of them Run do. it back. They've got to run it back. Look, the, like you've just said it, the winner, for, it was a draw. The winner was Drikas Duplessis. Yeah. He's the guy. And whilst that's going on, run that fight back. Let's see what's what between those two guys. Because I need to know. I need to know if Hamza has I got do. a gas tank for five rounds. And I need to know. I, I genuinely believe that Kamara Usman can make a run at being middleweight champion. Me too. After that performance last night, me too. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't start the fight any worse than he started it last night. He really couldn't. Yeah. I, I, you know, his excuse made sense as well. Kamara come out and said, listen, man, I've been doing five-round fights for so long. My brain didn't switch on to the fact that this is a sprint. I was approaching the fight very differently. And next thing you know, he's going 100 miles an hour. And I'm like, oh, shit, I better get going here. And then when he did get going, he looked outstanding. That makes sense. I understand where he's coming from in that regard. You know what I mean? So mm. run it back. Run it back. Yeah. Let them fight.
Oh, oh, hey, nice. hey, there you go. Every now and again, I just knock one in your path as well. Go on, then. You take it because Put that. that oh, go on, I'll just give it to you. That run it back, lads. Let them fight. <laughs> the Johnny Walker, Ma- uh, Magomed, and Kalaev debacle. Um, right, this doctor. I didn't get his name, unfortunately. No, I didn't I either. He had, he had a nightmare a little earlier on, didn't he, with the uh, with the groin strike yeah. uh, situation with Victor Henry as well. Yeah. You can't tell a fighter that he's faked a fucking. Can you Jesus imagine? Christ. Can you imagine if you went to your doctors, rocked up at the doctor, said, "Doctor, mate, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z." No, you're not. <laughs> out. <laughs> no, no, no sound. Get out. No, mate. I'm, I, I need some. I need. Some. Come on, out you go. I'm, I'm looking at you now. You look fine. Do one. <laughs> That's what your mum and dad used to do when exactly. you were a kid. That's what he was doing to Victor Henry. Victor Henry's got one in the nuts. He's yeah. obviously incapacitated in some way. Your job is to manage the patient in a professional manager, not tell him that he's fucking faking a situation. Insane. Yeah, absolutely mad. Anyway, well, I, we're not talking... See, Go on, then. We may as well quickly touch on that fight and segue back because... But I've seen that Josh Barnett had replied to Javid, Javid Basharat, who was in that fight with Victor Henry. He tweeted afterwards saying, everyone could tell you were cheating. Everyone could tell it that it wasn't a groin strike. you coward. You pulled out the fight. You could have continued, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and Josh Barnett, the old war master himself, an absolute legend, uh, who was in the corner, the only cornerman of Victor Henry, by the way. I haven't seen that for a while in the UFC, just one guy in the corner. But it's Josh Barnett. You don't need anybody else. But he replied and was like, yeah, Sam, man, okay. Do you want to see the MRI reports? Do you, want to, do, you want to, do you want to speak to the doctors who, back in the hospital, examined his badly swollen testicles and basically said, yeah, man, they're going to be in a bad way. Do you want to see this? Do you want to see that? So, you know, do you want to clean up the vomits backstage where he couldn't keep his dinner down because he was in so much pain? <laughs> you know, the, these things... It was an accident. Obviously, it was an accident. Oh, it's not Javid's fault. I don't think it was a deliberate And it's not Victor inside. Henry's fault. No. But I'm just, I'm just purely referring. The guy obviously could not That's carry not on. That's not the doctor's job. The no. doctor's job is to go, well, I've just looked at the screen, mate, and it doesn't look like it lands it's not that bad, so you just that. get off, mate. You're just a doctor. What is the problem? I can't stand up. Me fucking balls are just the, do- the doctor should be there to say, right, okay, take your time. You've got five minutes. Yeah. Now then. For what has happened to you, this is maybe an exercise or something that we could do Correct. in this moment to try and get you back to fight mode. One, count them. <laughs> right. For the start. Yeah, well, yeah. Sit down, breathe, yeah. all these types, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But that's what they should be doing, going through that process to try and get that fighter and obviously assess to give the referee the information, this guy can't carry on. Yeah. Because I've done the examination on him and uh, he, um, mate, it's fucked. Yeah, yeah. Right? So exactly. So, where we go. Now, He's obviously come in... I'm I'm back to Walker and Ankalaev now, right? So he's obviously come into the octagon because of an illegal strike. Let's not forget this. Yes. Magomed Ankalaev knees Johnny Walker in the fucking head whilst he's grounded. Yeah. Illegal (laughs) illegal shot. He he knows what he's doing. I don't get... And this is another thing that pissed me off all night. I must have seen about 10, 12 fouls in various fights last night. Not one point was taken off people. It was Mm -hmm. fucking doing my head in. And this is another situation maybe it would have had a point taken off him because it was an illegal strike so johnny walker now is allowed five minutes right that's what yeah. that's what he's allowed to Ref, the referee does the right job stop get in neutral corner you you fucking idiot get over there stay there don't move no talking to your corner doc come here he's just taking an illegal knee to the head right can you just have a quick chat with him do your assessments, look into his eyes. As we've seen on many, many occasions with illegal strikes, the doctor's job in that moment then 
is to assess whether Johnny Walker is capable enough to be able to continue to fight following the illegal strike. And therefore, there's a set of conversations to have with a, when you're trying to identify concussion and all this type of stuff. So his first job is obviously to look after the fighter. Correct. Yeah? Now, what I want to know, and I don't know this situation, I want to know if after the first one with Victor Henry, this fella's gone on his phone, he's checking social media, because everybody's playing bloody murder with him, aren't they? Of course. Right? Has he checked, has he listened to any exterior noise of which has then forced him to act in a particular way? Because, listen, I'm not too... Everybody's talking about the question that he asked him, whereabouts are you, right? And Johnny Walker answers back by saying, I'm in the desert. He's factually correct. He is in the fucking <laughs> desert, right? But anybody who's ever met Johnny Walker, you interviewed him this week, yeah. right? He's a character. He's eccentric. That's how he operates. He speaks like that all the time. He's looking to take the piss and have, a, and have a crack. Maybe that's the wrong moment to be taking the piss and having the crack. But that's the type of guy that Johnny Walker is. The referee, because you've got five minutes, the referee surely has a better protocol mm -hmm. to go through to, uh, yeah. to assess the situation. Give the lad time to assess the situation. I want to know if he's been affected by the, the bullshit, the first thing that he's messed up, and yeah. then come in and then... Well, I can't fucking. I've got to look after fighter safety here. Yeah, and well, gone really early on it. He says, "I've just asked him a question. I don't like the answer. That's it." Yeah, I think well, obviously the difference here, of course, is um, a brain injury and a, and a testicle injury, and the fact that he's climbing into the cage with people screaming in his ear. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't even kicked him. He's kicked him in the leg there. He hasn't even kicked him in the nuts. What the fuck is going on? Blah 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 blah. blah. And the doctors maybe hearing that. What's happened? Oh, sorry. Uh, the doctor's obviously hearing that, I think, and the noise around the room is in his ears. When he approaches Victor Henry on the ground, he's already gone in his ears, the whole room going, that never hit your nuts, get on with it. And he's took that rhetoric in with him. Now, it's different for a head injury because concussion injuries, which are obviously massively high profile in all sports now, um, Concussion industry, there's a real protocol how to address a concussion in professional sports, whether they're obsessed with it now in football. I know in America they've had this whole thing with American football, and there's a protocol to some extent in the UFC as well. But you've got to understand that there's always going to be some level of concussion in a sport where the object is to kick, punch, elbow, and fucking shoulder and anything else, somebody in the head. So in a moment where there's an illegal strike, where quite clearly a strike has it, a head, that's why the full five minutes is there. Can he recover sufficiently from an illegal head strike to continue the fight? And I think for that reason, you've got to give him the first five minutes because the first minute or two, he is going to be dazed. He is going to be a little bit head scrambled because the situation is... He's had a strike to the head that he wasn't expecting, that was thrown illegally. I just think you need more experienced people in these situations that are used to dealing with fighters, they're used to dealing with fouls in high-profile UFC contests. Like, I don't believe this happens in Vegas. Doesn't It doesn't happen necessarily in the US or even the UK. I think the officials there are used to dealing with fighters. They understand the game enough to go, right, okay, you've just taken a legal strike to the head. Calm down, everything's okay. You've got five minutes. 
we're going to take our time on this and then start entering the protocol when the fighter's a little bit calmer to just kind of get in there and have a look at them and then us you know potentially this is what we're led to believe he, he asked him a question about geography he come back with the desert he wasn't happy with that answer it all just felt really rushed and then obviously in the immediate aftermath you can see that because johnny walker's like what are you talking about come on i mean it's a fight we whoa 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 you're stopping nothing the main question should be are you in a fit state to continue yes or no right now i'll make because i'm not going to rush into anything mm. now I'm going to ask you a series of questions here. How many fingers have I got up? Where are we? Blah, blah, blah. And make it a lot more formal. Now, again, we were ringside on the opposite side of the cage. This may well have happened. I don't. I haven't seen the full transcript of the communication between Doctor and Johnny Walker, but it felt very rushed. We spoke to John Kavanagh. We spoke to John Kavanagh, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and he said, listen... It is what it is. And that's another fight that needs to be run back, which again, is it, this division, man, it's, it's mad. Light heavyweight. Since John Jones... Potty, it? Since John Jones uh, left the division, you've got guys winning, getting injured, vacating, new champions coming in. All this... Is, it, it doesn't seem to be the person coming through and saying, right, this is my division. I own this, yeah. Of course, we've got a great fight coming up with Yuri Pahachka against Alex Pereira. Uh, that's the title fight that we're all dead excited about. And Jamal Hill... Is probably then going to get the winner of that once his uh, Achilles injury injury sorted. So there's no problem whatsoever in running this one back um, between Johnny Walker and Ankalaev. Up to the point, I actually thought Ankalaev looked really good. Yeah, but again, you know, it, it I thought was, Johnny looked tentative. If I'm dead honest, of I thought course, he looked a bit tentative. And I expected him to be because you know, even when I spoke to him in the build-up and stuff, he was accepting of the fact that this was a really tough fight for him. This was a step up for him. But we were only three rounds into the, we're three minutes into the opening round. Mm. You know, nothing really had happened. Um, so yeah, I, I, they've got to run it back. The UFC will run it back. They almost tried to run it back inside the cage, which caused <laughs> fucking chaos. Hey, and, Dana, man, he well, saved the he saved he the riot. He did, Jerry yeah, saved the day, didn't he? Which he had to do because let them fight. <laughs> it was like, let the, them. It was the like fans, being in a coliseum, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, the fans were not happy, man, and I understood why because both Ankalaev and Johnny Walker. We're both like, yeah, man, let's just fight, get everybody out. And if it wasn't... It's not the, the fact, listen, it's not the Wild West, man. No, it isn't. It isn't, but... It's not the Wild West. You can't just chuck them straight back in. Referees waved it off. As soon as the referee waves it off, you, you, officially the fight is done. And that's, that's in the rule book. So it is what it is. Disappointing. Frustrating. Not for the first time. Mm. Uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov and uh, Ikram Aliskarov. Um... Two fantastic performances from Masai Nurmagomedov's point of view, uh, delivering a submission victory within 90 seconds. Uh, he made Gufrov pair, didn't he? Very, very simple. Just made him pair. Just like Muin Gafarov, very aggressive, punting down Saeed from the opening bell. And you're like, mate, you know, just be careful playing that game. And then he shoots in for the hips. In doing so, he dives straight into a guillotine. Saeed says, Thank you very much. Cinches it in as tight as anything. Pulls him onto the onto the canvas. Um, and from there on in, it, it's incredibly difficult for Gafarov to do anything else. You could tell his energy was high because it, within moments of that going on and hitting the canvas, he was tapping. The, the problem for Gafarov, he tapped on the blind side of Mark Goddard. Mark Goddard was on one side and he tapped on the other side. The lad let go though, straight away. Oh, Nemegomedov let go, absolutely. But... By then he was already out, yeah. 
And that's because his adrenaline, the fight had just started. His adrenaline's everywhere. He's bounced in. He's like, right, I'm going to fucking dictate. I'm going to do this. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. And you dive in. You get a submission. Pull in. Your heart's pumping so fast. You just burns your oxygen oxygen up so quickly, yeah. which is why he was rendered unconscious. But in regards to Saeed, mate, he's a statement. And this is, this is a guy that's a serious player in this weight class. You know, at bantamweight, he's a serious dude. Yeah. Ikram Aliskarov, mate, the variety of what he was doing was truly sensational. He mixed it up so well. And then when he opened it up with various bits that were going on, he uh, he managed to get the finish. Again, another scary dude. Yeah. He was really impressive. You know, and if it wasn't for the fact that Makachev was so outstanding in that main event, I think he'd have got a little bit more airtime as well. I think a lot of people went away looking at Aliskarov thinking, this, is a, this guy is a fucking player in this middleweight division. You know, he's got one loss on his record, which was against uh, Hamzat a couple of years yeah. ago, I believe. Since then, he's obviously been undefeated since, so only one loss. And he was coming up against Vali Alves, who's okay, Vali Alves, he was a replacement opponent. Let's let's make that point clear. But he's big, he's strong, he's got a lot of knockouts on his record, a lot of finishes. He's a former winner of Tough Brazil. You know, he's a wily old veteran. And he's coming in, he's strong, but Aliskarov just kind of went, this is my fucking house. These are my fucking fans. <laughs> and I'm about to fuck you up. And that's exactly what he did, man. The finish was a thing of beauty. That jab, bam! Caught what? Ali Alves. Bam! Straight, bam! Hit him. Alves stumbles backwards, almost ends up on his arse. Only the fence keeps him up. Then he steps back forward again, and he just waits for a split second. Little high kick. Yeah, that's landed as well. Here we go. Flying knee. That closes the distance. Alves swallows that too. And then by then, Aliskarov's just standing straight in front of him. I counted 10 hooks. 10 hooks. And the referee had no choice. And Alvarez was, you know, by that point, um, Alves was fucking begging the referee to step in. Brutal. Talent. Um, got some big balls as little Mo, hasn't he? Weird, weird little fight that. Weird fight because, again, we were talking about um, position, takedowns and all these types of things. And Mo uh, secures a couple of those in the second round. And a lot of fight fans have been confused that he was down two rounds. I have no argument with him being down two rounds yeah. on, the, on the cards. I personally had it one apiece, but yeah. <clears throat> I have no argument with him being down two rounds going into the third. Because the damage wasn't there. Yet, he was grappling, he was holding, and he was getting a bit of dominance and what have you. But Tim Elliott, again, a very clever character, man. Showed a lot of experience. I thought Tim Elliott looked really good. And he was delivering the damaging shots, the most significant shots, through rounds one and two. So I have no problem with an argument that he is... Well, two of the judges had him 2-0 going into uh, into round number three. But there's something special about Mo. He just doesn't know when he's done, does he? He doesn't know when he's cooked. And if you look at the actual uh, play out of round number three... There's three minutes left on the clock and he's pinned on his back. Mm -hmm. He needs to finish. He needs to find something from somewhere. The way he explodes from bottom position to find himself then in the dominant position and the the technique he uses to sink in that arm triangle, that's that's up there with the very, very best grapplers in the UFC. It was absolutely elite. And think about who he's doing it to. Tim Elliott is a very, very hard man to finish. Mormakayev has kept the train on the track for now. Kaikara France is a different kettle of fish. If he can get that fight, and if he can get that fight in the next three months, then you never know. This dream that he has of becoming the youngest ever UFC champion and beating John Jones's record, which he's got to do by the back end of March, 
could be well and truly alive. That performance last night, I think, was maybe the best out of the lot that I've seen so far of him in the UFC. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just having a quick look then. You know, Tim Elliott, last few years, okay, he's won he's won a bunch. He's lost a few as well, but he's losing against the best guys. He's losing against Mateus Nicolau. He's losing against Askarov, Figueredo, the former champion, Brandon Roy Val. Out of them as well, only, only Figueredo and Roy Val uh, were able to submit him. You know, he's got a f- sensational chin. Um, and I'm, I'm, Mo said in the, in the lead-up, you know, I, have, I, need, I know I need to finish here. To keep this dream alive of trying to become the youngest ever champion, the UFC have to take notice. And the only way to take notice is by stopping a guy that generally doesn't get stopped. Yeah. He only gets stopped by the very best in the division. And he's done it again. And, wh- and what he's doing is he's, he's, he's getting in fights... He's facing adversity. He's staring it in the face. He's smacking its ass and he's choking it out consistently. And no one else in this weight division is finishing people as consistently as Mo Mokhiev. That's five straight wins now of flyweight. Four submissions in that time as well. And I know it's grapple heavy. And I know that might not pander to a lot of UK or European fan tastes. But he's finishing people. And his fights are entertaining because he's losing them. Yeah. And he's snatching victory and in the most dramatic it, fashion. Do you know what I mean? He's losing them be- because of mistakes as well. Yeah, yeah. He's better on his feet than he's allowing people to see because yeah. he's going to the Shooting. wheelhouse. He's got. Yeah. He's going to what he, he's comfortable doing. He's he's not setting up his shots. He's just shooting, and then he's finding himself in trouble against top guys that know exactly what they're doing. I think if he had a little bit more confidence in his feet and his stand up, and he stayed there for a bit longer. This game would be a lot easier for him. You you would see him then win rounds comfortably and dominate people yeah. rather than give away ten minutes and then think to yourself, "Oh fuck, I've got to chase this now." Yeah, and and it's only because he's so talented, he can chase it and he can get away with he it. He can go to the well and yeah. and, and and utilize his strengths. And I, you know, once Mo Mokhiev gets you on your back and he's on top, you're in trouble. Man. You're in serious problems, you know. And and as you say, last night he was on bottom, three minutes to go, and somehow he seemingly picked fucking Tim Elliott from the floor. From he the bench floor. pressed him. Yeah. Lifted him up from the floor, turned him round in the air, spiked him on his head, and and then squ- squeezed up against the fence. Somehow got in that head and the arm choke. It was absolutely insane. When you look at Mo, he looks like a twelve-year-old. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's got this choir boy physique. Yeah. Okay, he's got this air of confidence around him, which you get, which elite athletes have, but physically. He's still got a frame of a boy. You know, he hasn't grown necessarily... Grown, well, he doesn't appear to have grown into his man strength, but fuck me. He's got serious man strength. He's mm. got serious power. There was times last night where Tim Elliott, who's an old, wily old dog, tough as they come, and he was just manhandling. You know, that wasn't the first time. He, sp- he spiked them in the, in, early in the fight as well, if you yeah. remember. Slammed them down. That just shows the power that he's got in his, in his body. And then to pull that submission off, you know, when you need it most. Like I personally think round two was probably close. I think Tim Elliott won one. Round two was a little bit closer. Mo came back into it, but largely based on grappling. But you could argue, you know, with those punches to the body, which he was throwing a lot of while he was wasn't wasn't in a guillotine, but he had his, his head trapped in a in a in a headlock with with Tim Elliott. Were those strikes enough to win rounds? The judges didn't think they were. But that's regardless now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you start. Mm. It matters how you finish. And that's what Mo does. He finishes fights. Winners win, baby. Yeah. Uh, we'll finish with a bit of Nathaniel Wood. Um, obviously, this might have been a little bit too early for you if you were watching, trying to watch at home. If you've got a fight pass, you'll have seen it. Of course, it wasn't available because it was on the early prelims on uh, on broadcast television. 
Uh, I thought this was very poorly officiated uh, from the third man in the octagon. He um, he allowed Neymov to get away with multiple fence grabs, multiple low blows, uh, a glove grab right at the end of the fight, um, zero uh, ramifications for breaking the rules. And this is what I was alluding to a little earlier on in the podcast. The amount of fouls I saw last night where there were groin strikes, knees to the bollocks, knees to the illegal uh, knees to the head, fence grabs, glove grabs, and nobody had a point taken off them. Come on, man. What's the point? What's the point in having rules? Yeah. If you if the person that is breaking those rules is not going to be punished for breaking those rules. Yeah. You know, there was plenty of opportunity in this fight alone for Neymar to have a point taken off him. Yeah, I think the 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 referee in this case, I can see why he didn't, but I agree with you. I think it was a mistake because for me, it shouldn't be three fouls of the same, you know, groin strike. Hey, that was a groin strike. Be careful. Second groin strike. Right, this is your last warning now. Do not do that again. Mm-hmm. Fence grab. That shouldn't be a reset on the, hey, that was a fence grab. Yeah. Don't do fence grabs. Second fence grab. I've warned you, don't fence grab again. Yeah. Get a point taken off. Next thing you know, he's holding the glove. Hey, don't hold the glove. It shouldn't reset because of the manner of the foul. A foul's a foul. Yeah. So you groin strike, you groin strike, then you fence grab. Right, I've told you. You've had two fouls, I've warned you. That was a third foul, point off. You foul again, I'll take him two points off. That's how it should be. But now I understand where the referee might have been thinking, well, that's a fence grab. That's a completely different type of foul. First time he's done that, to be fair, I'll, I'll just give him another warning. But when you think that was five warnings for fouls of various natures over the course of one fight, mm-hmm. I don't think that's right because a foul's a foul. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I just think, I'm with you. I think he should have taken a point off. Now, Neymar's team would have gone, fucking hell, that's the first time he's done it. Yeah, man, but he's kicked him in the balls twice. Yeah. These are all foul. A foul is a foul, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think he should have had a point taken off. But, you know, that might make us just sound like bitter British journalists being disappointed because um, because Nathaniel lost the fight. And he, and he did lose a fight. You yeah. know, he, he lost it convincingly. Neymar, to be fair to him. But that, that does give him a draw. A point off gives him a draw, in my opinion. Yes, of course. Because he finished well. He did. This this is the first time that we've really seen physicality at one four five yeah. take its toll on uh, Nathaniel. He yes, he's undersized. He's a small one forty fiver, but we've seen him in against guys that are bigger than him. But yeah. his speed has been that killer factor. He's been able to get away with it because he's so quick. Nemov and his wrestling and his grappling. You could just, the size of that fucker's back, man. He was absolutely gigantic, wasn't he? Yeah. And when he got older, Nathaniel, you could see, oh, man. Don't get me wrong, Nathaniel did well. He stayed calm. He managed to bounce back up to his feet and get himself out of trouble. But he lost the first two rounds. He finished well. Don't He's, forget in the second round, he dropped him with a wicked right hand as well, Nathaniel. Yeah. But he just didn't get, he wasn't able to ca- capitalise on that momentum. And I don't think it was too long after when there was another one of the fouls as well. Yeah. The, the point is, the fouls did play a part. Yeah, they did. A significant part. They stopped the momentum of certain part, parts of the fight, definitely. Yeah. And there was one point when... One of the fence grabs. He grabs the fence to stop himself from getting from taking Nathaniel them. from yeah. taking them down. But then there was another point. It was the end of the second round, or maybe even in the third round, when Nathaniel was getting dragged along the fence, and it would have been super easy for Nathaniel to reach up and grab the fence and get his balance back. Mm. And he didn't. Mm. And he let himself be taken down, which he should be. You can't grab the fence. But in that moment, you're like, well, he's done it twice in this fight. 
if Nathaniel had done it then, the referee couldn't have really punished them because he'd gone, all right, well, I better I better warn you for the fence grab then. Do you know what mm. I mean? So, and obviously the, the end of the fight, Nathaniel wins the third round because the end of the fight is him unloading on the guy. Neymar's got nothing left in the tank. He, and, and, you know, I tweeted this at the time. 30 more seconds, Nathaniel may have stopped him. It was that close. You yeah. know, he was literally yeah. saved by the bell, Neymar. So, so yeah, you know what? In, in hindsight, you're right. That, that point off would have been critical. Hmm. And and could have absolutely thought it also changes the way Neymar goes about fighting. Yeah. So of if course. if he if he like Clean the second groin strike, you go nah, right, point 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 point, because that's right at the start of the second. That whole round could play out differently. Yeah. And then okay, you might not get the finish that you're getting because Nathaniel obviously knows that he's down and he's chasing it like mad. Fair play to him; he still went for it. Um, he was unlucky. I thought he was unlucky not to uh, not to come away with something there, and he shouldn't be too down on himself. I know that obviously he's got aspirations to get himself ranked at one forty five, um, but the performance and the way that he finished the fight uh, will hold him in good stead going into uh, into next year or the back end of this year for another fight. Um, all in all, decent. Yeah, all in all, as you said earlier, a, a, an event of two halves, rather boring, frustrating. And um, particularly grapple heavy, but not even entertaining. Grapple heavy, a lot of holding down, and you know, changing position rather than big, big submission and ground and pound moments in the early part of the fight. But then once again, not for the first time in his career, Mo turned up. Mo delivered something, turned the fight around, turned the moment round, won the crowd over, got the crowd excited, and from then on in. UFC 294 was wicked. The amount of fighters, by the way, in, in post-fight interviews saying that they got staff. Yeah, that was Victor, very Victoria Dudakova, she was very graphic with, with, with her staff thing. Thank you very mm -hmm. much for that. Um, and that uh, crazy cat, Mike Breeden. Yeah. He was a star, he was wasn't he? He was a fucking loser. He was actually, the, he was the star of those early prelims. Yeah, yeah, prelims. Because he, um, he got his ass kicked for, what, five, five minutes or so. Yeah. Um, Maybe seven minutes by Jubilee. Jubilee. The Indian fighter. And then he just went, ah, fuck it, let's go then. And yeah. he just started talking to him and Jubilee were like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> he just proper went wild on him, didn't he? But he also, in his post-fight interview, said that he had staff. Obviously, undisclosed to the to the UFC and they've just cracked on regardless. Absolute mad people. I'll tell you what else is mad as well. Uh, a lot of fans, obviously connected in some way, shape or form to Hamza Chimaev, um, jumped over the barrier to get to Paolo Costa. Mm -hmm. Caused the right, right. As Paolo, I don't even know why, well... I, Paolo Costa's Paolo Costa, isn't he? He's flown halfway around the world when he should have been in the fight this yeah. weekend. Okay, he's injured. But he knows that he's going to cause a scene if he fucking rocks up. That's why he's here, to cause a scene. And then next thing you know, there's people jumping out of the crowd to get to him and... Which is obviously their hands on him. fucking ridiculous. And hopefully those people were ejected and saved a little bit of Abu Dhabi police attention. Because mm. no one should be jumping fences to attack fighters, even if you even if you don't like them. So yeah, that was BS. But all in all, I thought the event was wicked. The atmosphere was unreal outside. The atmosphere was unreal inside. And Abu Dhabi, man, this is the this is the gaff. You know, if you're saving your pennies together, maybe to one day, you know, we're in an incredibly fortunate position. Don't believe for a second that we don't, you know, pinch ourselves on a daily basis getting cut to able to come to these international events. But if you are scraping pennies together to one day do a UFC event, whether it be a stag do or a, even a part of a honeymoon, anything, <laughs> anything, you know? This is the one. This is the one. Abu Dhabi in October, I'm telling you now, is the one. Big fights, great fighters, sensational location, brilliant nightlife, 
Loads to do. And he's not getting paid by the tourist board to say that. No, it's, but it's if legit. they want to step in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, little apology to people that do normally consume our podcast on uh, YouTube. About halfway through recording this, um, because we're doing it a little bit differently today, um, my phone packed in. So on YouTube, you're going to get the Usman uh, Chimaev review, and you'll also get the main event review. Yeah. Uh, so apologies um, that's it. To those. Uh, but listen, we're in full on audio, right? This is why we need our producer, we is. He decided not to come to this one. He's back with us for the New York, don't worry. Don't you worry, he'll sort us out for that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you very much uh, for tuning in. Fightdisciples.com is our website. That's where all the audio feeds are. And we are on uh, YouTube, as I said, and we'll be back to normal uh, throughout the course of the week. All right? Fight Disciples on there, so make sure you get stuck into it. Thank you very much uh, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.